What's your name, sweetie? Kristen. Kristen. Mommy, Santa's nose bunny. You think Mommy wants to sit on Santa's other knee? I think Mommy's a little too big. Oh, Santa can make lots of room on here. That's my wife, Jimmy. Frank, it's Christmas. Give me a call if you want to break the Irish curse. I'm skinny, but I'm long. <laughs> okay, let's see. What sound of blood you this year, Kirsty? The Scotch on the Rocks. Please, any Scotch will do. As long as it's not a blend, of course, uh, single malt, Glenlivet, Glenfiddich, perhaps, maybe a Glengow, any Glen. I'm Drumgon. I'm thirsty. I want a beer. What about you? You want a beer? Just a drink. A martini, shaken, not stirred. All right. So for this episode, I guess we're going to be talking about two films that do share a premise here. As far as staying in motion all night long, uh, <laughs> one with uh, a little more sex, although I don't wouldn't say it's got sex appeal in It Follows, and then the one that actually does have sex appeal, depending on how you feel about Liam Neeson, uh, is uh, a Run All Night. <laughs> what was that, Jared? You do? I have mucho sex appeal. I can't get enough Liam Neeson chases other white men movies. Hmm. Or white men chases Liam Neeson movies. Is it always... Uh... White on white crime was Liam Neeson. No, cause Commons after him in this one. So usually it's him against some sort of uh, Eastern or Western European, uh, mm, like the, some sort of, the sort of some like sort of Russian or eighties eighties style villains. <laughs> These are sort of throwback movies, throwback action movies. Uh, not too many explosions. They don't appear to be too expensive. Just uh, sort of old fashioned. Uh, I did want to uh, since we're already you know we'll just start off the rails. Uh, does Common have a thing where he just plays a random like bad guy? Because I just uh, I was watching a YouTube video uh, that just came up in my uh, algorithm. Uh, I, I guess I've watched too many movie interviews about films that are disasters. Maybe for this podcast, like <laughs> whatever happened there, uh, and it was about Suicide Squad, and it was like basically here are all the things that went wrong with Suicide Squad, and a big focus of it was on poor Common saying that the scene he's in like made more sense with the Joker. Basically every scene with the Joker didn't make any sense. And I was like, Oh yeah, he was like the, uh, like a hired gun in suicide squad too. And, uh, common gets no love. I don't know. He needs to be a nice rom-com, but maybe it follows. He could have been the hired gun to take down it. Uh, <laughs> this one's going to be a little bit weird because I don't know if we've had one like it before. We, you know, we've had some where the forgotten film is not so forgotten, uh, like when we were talking about uh, Dead Alive or Brain Dead, uh, we're talking about how it had become a cult classic. It just, you know, when it came out, it took a while for people to catch on. Uh, I would say here, if you're going to consider It Follows, and Jared, I'm going to toss it to you on the stats here in a second. The mm. uh, forgotten film, as far as when it initially came out, uh, was the little indie darling. Uh, I feel like that's probably switched because I had seen Run All Night before and watching again this week for the podcast. It was almost like a fresh watch. Like it, it had totally blinked from my mind as far as which Liam Neeson action movie this was, and uh, so I feel like this one it will be the mainstream hit initially. But uh, I would say that maybe Run All Night is a forgotten film in this conversation. If you're talking to people who <laughs> like movies, uh, Jared, give us give us the numbers. And I'm gonna toss it, Josh. All right, Run All Night 
had a $50 million budget and only made $26.4 million back. It's ranked a nice, well, I guess for what it was, it's 60% on the tomato meter and uh, 56% from the audience. And uh, it, what did it follow end up with from a box office perspective? I want to say, let me uh, click over real quick. Fourteen point six million on a one million dollar budget. Okay, so far more successful, but uh, Rental Night did oh, its opening weekend was eleven million dollars. So <laughs> this is the failure we're going to be talking about, and it opened to almost the totality of it follows run. So. <laughs> Uh, Josh, uh, I think you're a bit of a Liam Neeson fan. So, uh, had you seen this one before? And if you had, did you, did your memory work better than mine? Uh, booze addled brain. Uh, I'm a huge Liam Neeson fan. Uh, for a while I was, you know, claiming him to probably be one of my all time favorite actors. And I, I would probably still say that. However, um, Taken has really done something, you know, kind of negative to his career because i mean good for him he's he's probably cashed out pretty good in the past 10 years since going down this uh um revenge like action movie star uh type role that he's really just kind of <laughs> taken and ran with uh these past several years but it has really kind of put a damper on the roles he has taken um, like exclusively this type of exclusively material. this stuff yeah like I mean he had a role in Silence uh, last year and was great you know and he used to be known for those types of roles you know Schindler's List and different things so I I, I, I really hope maybe he's almost done doing this uh, you know a couple of those movies were good the first Taken movie was great I know people loved it so but I, it was also I, a surprise really, when that one came yeah, out, it was, it was different. Yeah, it was, you know, he was, uh, to me at least, he was like Oscar Schindler. He was sort of a mm-hmm. serious actor. Uh, and when Taken came out, you're like, oh, this dude, he's broad-shouldered. He's, especially for an actor, I think he's probably fairly tall. I don't know if Jared's got those numbers or if I can say, <laughs> Jared, g- give me the inches uh, on Liam Neeson, please. Uh, you put me on the spot here. Well, uh, six foot four. <laughs> And that's accurate. Uh, six foot four is you might as well be eight feet tall for an actor. So yeah, yeah uh, when next to Tom Cruise. <laughs> yeah, when when Taken came out, I think I was I was a huge fan of it, and I was like, yeah, this guy should do. He should have been doing more of this. And then my prayers were answered, probably to excess at that point, where I was like, okay, like Josh, it's like they took your advice. Go back and be Oscar Schindler for a little bit, not literally Oscar Schindler, but something like that. Right. So that said, uh, I have watched quite a few of his um, endeavors into this action genre, but I had not seen this one. So this was a this was a first time watch, and so I guess you know I won't I won't go too deep right away. But initially speaking, I would say it's a fine movie. You know, it's good. Maybe if all maybe if all those other ones didn't ex- exist from the past several years, you know, a person could probably speak a little bit more highly about it, but it, it's, it also suffers from, uh, it, whether intentionally or not, it, it borrows from a lot of other movies as far as the, uh, the structure of the movie and the plot. Oh. It's just not very original. I know? hated, and, hated the bookends. I hated that we start with like the last gunfight and 
Yeah. He's got this really cheesy speech about like, uh, you know, seeing the white light before you die. Bullshit. Here's what you see before you die. And I'm like, all right. Okay. You're <laughs> yeah. badass. And you know what? We're going to have two hours of seeing you being a badass. You don't need to, to blow your load right to start with this monologue. <laughs> you bleed I out. I have an appetizer. Uh, I would say get rid of the bookends. Uh, and there's a lot I like about it. Like I like mm-hmm. Liam Neeson and Ed Harris having this uh, relationship where they grew up together. And Ed Harris has become, I guess, successful in the criminal world. Uh, so successful that he doesn't even have to uh, be a part of the criminal world anymore. He's someone who, uh, what gets the ball rolling in this film is he decides to go against this uh, business deal that his son has set up as far as that would involve using his docks, I guess, for uh, drugs coming in and out uh, because he doesn't need to. That's behind him, like, and it's too risky. So I like the idea that it wasn't just a maniac that was going to be after Liam Neeson and his family. <clears throat> it was a guy that respected him and a guy that was trying to leave that behind much like we usually see our like heroes. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like I tried to, but then I had to grab the gun again for one last round. And, uh, <laughs> I guess I like that Ed Harris felt the same way. Um, uh, unfortunately, uh, to what you're saying, Josh, as far as the action goes, that's probably like the least interesting element of it. Like mm-hmm. the, those two sort of actors just like sitting across from each other, Maybe uh, Liam Neeson doing his own version of Bad Santa at a Christmas party where he's like coming <laughs> on to all these other like mafia guys' wives. There's it's a little bit out of character for what we expect of Liam Neeson, but for the most part, it's pretty vanilla and pretty. I can I remember why I didn't remember it now after watching again. Like, yep, probably hit me up in three four years, and I won't remember this one either. Um, so, Jared, uh, your experience with all the inches of Liam Neeson. Disgusting. Um, I've seen. I don't believe you know, you, Jared. <laughs> that was very unenthusiastic. Disgusting. <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> uh, I kind of got to echo what you guys said as far as like the action was fine. It was okay. Of course, we've seen it all before. Liam Neeson pistol whips a white guy with a goatee and then jumps out the window. Like, yeah, I've seen that about 25 different times now. Josh, so. I'm, I'm surprised you're not interjecting. What is Jared's obsession with Liam Neeson beating up white people in this episode so far? It is mostly white people that he hits. I, I'm not going to go back and do the uh, demographics on it, but... <laughs> It, I don't know. Jared has weird fantasies, Mike. We don't. <laughs> I don't. The nasty Hellcat. You can't control what he fantasizes. All uh, night, run. It's all just, night. I mean, do you do you say the same things about uh, Bruce Willis? Like in his movies, like I'm. Now you actually have me wondering if our uh, action movie stars of old were they beating up on minorities? Uh, did they mix them in? And was that more progressive if they didn't just exclusively beat up on one race? <laughs> yeah, you have a very weird angle on this chair to run all night. And now I can't blame you for making it weird for me too. Like then I have to look at run all night as a treatise on race relations, <laughs> white on white crime. Think, don't think about it that much. You're thinking about it too much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, he, he hits uh, Common with a, a flaming two by four, and then jumps out a window. That was, oh. yeah, that was that was nice. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I think a lot I'll of let the, Josh uh, just let that hang there. <laughs> <laughs> that I didn't was... really know how to. I didn't really know the proper way of trying to word why I liked it, so I just let it hang. I just kind of thought it was kind of silly. Them like. I don't know, torch spotting or whatever they were doing. <laughs> <laughs> a little silly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
I think a lot of the intrigue and a lot of the um, a lot of the actual drama of the movie kind of got taken out of the picture in the first twenty or twenty five minutes. Um, doing a no spoiler show, but whenever that I, one particular, I don't think anybody cares about Run All Night. Well, when when Danny dies, I thought that kind of took away some of the. Uh, so some of the complexity that you could have put in the movie, because from that point forward is kind of like they pushed the gas on the action. There really wasn't that much more to do with the story other than just simply the action and uh, getting to the conclusion of the movie. I mean, I think that's fair. I also think it's, I think it's funny that you're wanting a film called run all night to slow down. Like, Hey, 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 <laughs> take your time. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, perhaps it was, like, uh, I'd rather, uh, a brisket jog through <laughs> jog all night. <laughs> there is another Liam Neeson movie called A Walk Through the Tombstones. If you like that, Jared, if yeah, you want something that sounds like more your pace, as long as it is very literal, then perhaps if he actually walks through. So, if, for people who have not seen the movie, Danny, the, the death you're referencing, uh, is the, the son of the Ed Harris character. And basically, from that point forward, uh, Liam Neeson knows that. Uh, he's a dead man, and so it's his son who uh, was going to be killed by Ed Harris's son. So it's like you know the families have just been pitted against one another, no matter how close the fathers are. And uh, I don't know, did you have an issue, Jared? Because it's something that kind of came up when we did our our split conversation uh, that no matter who you were talking to, they in that film all the characters had the same goal. Did you have an issue with the fact that it's like once that happens? Uh, there's nothing that can really be said between these two guys that Ed Harris is going to try to kill him, and then what's done is done. I, I wouldn't say no. I don't. I didn't have a problem with it. It's just you kind of knew what to expect, and there would be. I didn't really think there would be that much more of a uh, no sort of surprises or sort of turns. I guess I think that was pretty much over and done with. Which I, you know, and again, I'm fine with you know push the gas pedal. We'll get to the end. Gunfights, fist fights. You know, you know, getting to that end, just torch fights, uh, beating up whites, blacks, Latinos, all of them, not just white people. Not going to pander. Oh my god! (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, it's just. I guess that's that's where the nasty Hellcat sound effect would go with that awkward pause in between. Fists around the world. <laughs> With that, I'll uh, I'll interject. Um, <laughs> uh, I had a problem with that the the direction of the plot as far as once Danny was killed uh, because they you know they showed early on that that uh, Liam Neeson's character and Ed Harris that. Ed Harris really had no reason to be loyal and good to Liam Neeson other than just the fact that he was genuinely, you know, thoughtful of him and appreciated his friendship and and considered him, you know, a a close acquaintance. And Uh, for people who have not seen it, the uh, naughty, the bad Santa scene uh, basically is just to establish that Liam Neeson's character is a drunk, like he's an old, like an old uh, hired gun who uh, is basically needs to be put out to pasture, or at least everyone else thinks that way. But Ed Harris, yeah. almost out of friendship or pity, kind of keeps him around, giving him odd jobs yeah. and such. Yeah. And um, 
when the whole situation unfolds, when uh, Danny uh, goes after um, uh, what's his name from the killing, uh, Joel Kinnaman. Yes, yes, thank you. Uh, even even Ed Harris's character tells Danny, like, "You stay put, don't go bothering him." You know, so he's telling him, "Don't, don't, don't do any more to this. That would be bad. You know, leave it alone." And uh, Danny goes and tries to kill Joel Kinnaman's character, anyways. And in self defense of his son, Liam Neeson kills Danny. I feel like Ed Ed Harris's character up to that point had proven to be more level-headed and sensible. And, and and while I know that that would be a very passionate thing to experience, you know, somebody killing your son, I'm not saying that he would just be all chill about it, but I agree with you. The only thing is I think, I think he would feel like he had to kill Jimmy, the Liam Neeson character. I don't think the movie sells me that he would feel like Liam Neeson's son played by Joel Kinnaman. Like, Oh, he's got to go too. Right. I don't think that at all. And that's the problem is that Liam Neeson's character agrees with that. He's mm-hmm. like, listen, I, you know, I won't put up a fight. I understand. Because his have, son has never been know. part of that life. And that's right, the reason right. they don't speak as father and son is because his, his son's on the straight and narrow. And everybody yeah. knows that. So, And he had done nothing in this situation. He had <laughs> Except be there. Done just, he was just there doing yeah. an innocent job, you know, mm-hmm. driving a limousine. So I, I took issue with that. Now, it would have been a little bit easier to excuse had we – been launched from that into some sort of John Wick level of action movie where you're like, you know what? I don't care why we're going down this rabbit hole. It's just fun. But it, where it didn't really go down that path of being that over the top action movie so much. And it was trying to be a little bit more of a a plot driven movie as well. uh, That just, that, that, that really, that really hurt it for me because I just, I didn't buy that. I mean, I'll agree with you. I don't think there is one memorable action sequence in this movie. Um, I mean, a cop gets shot, uh, not to go too dark, <laughs> but I guess you're not used to, at least I'm, I'm not like seeing our hero, uh, even though he's an anti-hero, just shoot a cop. Now, admittedly a crooked cop as we're led to believe they're all, you know, we, we've seen that they're not doing things by the book and they're basically going to take a payout to deliver Liam Neeson's son to his death. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, as far as any gunfight that happens, even now watching it days later, uh, uh, not really. Um, let me throw a question to the two of you because I had, um, I hadn't really, as I was watching it, I don't know why I didn't think about it, but when Josh, when you and I were talking about the dynamics of these father-son relationships and you know the, the character that Ed Harris plays, knowing that his son was in the wrong, telling him not to do anything, he still goes out of his way to do it, and he crosses one of his oldest friends, who was a hitman, basically. It's Road to Perdition with Paul Newman and mm. Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. Yep. I don't remember having those criticisms in that film where I do feel like Paul Newman was pretty level-headed. I don't know for whatever reason it sold me on the idea that like this is just how the world operates and it has to well, be done now. A lot of it, yeah, a lot of it has to do with how you build up your characters too. Uh I'm not saying that I can't buy that there would be certain types of characters that would Oh no, go no that I way. actually agree with you. I'm I'm saying I had the same reaction but yet in Road yeah. Position I never even considered it. I was just like, yeah, right. this is just the situation these And that, I think that's in. why. I think that's more better developed you know uh, that's why i say ed harris comes off as like a genuine pretty nice guy at the beginning of this he's like saying no to drugs i'm gonna keep my town clean mm-hmm. uh and then all that he's a legit businessman now apparently so 
I, I think that just he was almost set up to be too good of a guy uh, to buy that he would just completely loses, you know, lose it when when his son dies. So, uh, yeah, you're right though. It's definitely Road to Perdition, and Road to Perdition was probably a better movie. It somehow it had uh, better action sequences too, even though it's set. <laughs> I don't know how many decades prior to this, they somehow were more creative with uh, yeah. Tommy guns and uh, ugly Jude Law. Uh, no offense to you, Jared. I know you're, Thanks you're a lot, buddy. You're a great defender of Jude Law, but uh, what was it, Dom Hemingway? It's it's <laughs> it's like in Road to Perdition. He's not only he's like sick, like cancer ridden Dom Hemingway in that. Like they really <laughs> <laughs> Dom after the party's over, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, pretty much in Road to Perdition, but. Um, I may have to watch Road of Perdition again. It's got me in the mood for it, like, after Run mm-hmm. Online. Um, mm-hmm. Let's, uh, before we do that, since that's not one of the featured movies, let's move on to something I think we're a little more positive on, which is uh, It Follows. This thing, it's going to follow you. Somebody gave it to me, and I passed it to you. Back in the car. It could look like someone you know, or it could be a stranger in a crowd. Whatever helps it get close to you. It can look like anyone, but there's only one of it. Help! Help! Uh, a lot of people are more positive on there there was some backlash after it came out but this as jared said on its budget for what it made uh it was a a financial success and uh critically jared what did it end up at on rotten tomatoes tomato meter of 97 percent, but oddly an audience score of 66 i you know that doesn't surprise me though uh especially with uh, a horror movie um, cause I honestly, it's not I, typical. Definitely. And I'm, I'm not saying that, uh, like a lot of movie trailers would, that it's like the scariest film since the exorcist type thing. But mm-hmm. I'm just wondering if the exorcist came out day and there, there had not been something like it before. No. I, I wonder if the audience score would not be like in the 60, 70 range. And then critically it would be close to a hundred percent. Just because I feel like there would still be people like, well, that's not really a horror movie because it's so slow and that why why do we have the mom and the priest talk so much and what's with the Roman? I, I feel like there would be criticisms. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. The main main one I guess with it follows could be uh, the pacing, which um, <laughs> in this film is basically a plot point. Every time it's mm-hmm. starting mm-hmm. to lag and uh, the characters are kind of getting lost in conversation, uh, yeah, you better you might want to turn your head, uh, especially if you're on a beach. You uh, might want to turn around and see if there's a random person. Stretch your legs out. Perhaps run. Do like Jared uh, with uh, the red turtle. Make sure you get your Fitbit on and uh, listen to your alerts. (laughs) Move around a little bit. So, uh, yeah, I love this movie uh, from from the jump, although I'll admit uh, that when it was uh, basically sent to me uh, as, hey, this is a scary movie about STDs, I was like, that's probably the dumbest movie i've ever heard like i'm gonna hate watch this and then cuss all these people that are saying it's awesome and then i watched it and of course it's a little bit more than that but yeah basically a young woman uh has a sexual encounter with a with a man who um i guess pulls a uh 
Ed Harrison was like, uh, hey, don't just don't do anything for a minute. I know it looks like I'm like, <laughs> I d- I'm, I'm about to date rape you or something, but just hang out because there's an old nude what woman. What are you doing in the trunk? <laughs> <laughs> just hang, t- hang tight, baby. There's an old grandma that's going to walk up naked and she's not going to speak, but you'll you'll get it. You'll understand. So um, I, I guess I'm more interested in knowing that you all were, uh, and especially at the end of some of these shows when I mentioned this, uh, I think I left it in the last one that you're like, finally something good, or it's like a treat. Uh, I'm interested to know, and we'll start with you, Jared, how did it hold up as far as a rewatch after the, the hype had died down for it follows? Yeah, it's uh, it's one that I'd actually watched before a, uh, uncommon theme here on the show, but, yeah, it, it held up just as good as it did. I, I watched it originally during um, a Halloween week where I was attempting to try to watch like one horror movie a day up to like Halloween. And I think I started out with this one, and it really set the bar incredibly too high because the horror genre in general is like you either have home runs or you have, to borrow another baseball term, a ground out second. Like it, it's – if you want intelligence or if you want any sort of nuance or any sort of anything that thematically like speaks to you on a different level other than blood axe chainsaw scream roll credits like it's it's one of those rare finds that it's a horror movie and it's smart and it's original even though like the concept of this thing following you isn't original the way that it is presented to you is a uh, pretty original concept, and anything original in the horror genre is is a welcome sight, in my opinion. It, it, it's a great movie, and so I, I I loved it just as much the second time. The only thing I'll say that it loses, and that's going to be the case for a lot of horror movies, but this one even more so because it doesn't rely on jump scares or a lot of violence or anything like that. That when you rewatch those type movies, those things can still affect you. This one, it's more about the suspense and the constant like dread of like uh, what's around the corner, like is somebody falling. So once you've watched it that first time, a lot of that tension is kind of gone because you know when you know there's actual trouble or not. That said, though, the 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 mood and just the atmosphere of the movie is still you know just wrought with dread and um, that. Uh, that 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 feeling of paranoia, I guess you know, just like that. Oh, it could be anywhere, and, and really, anytime when you sit and and kind of do that, put yourself in their shoes type thing, it's one of the creepiest ideas to, to let me, think of. Let me throw out an idea uh, because I wondered uh, some of it was kind of by happenstance as far as my schedule uh, this week, like finding time to watch it uh, because I think with most horror movies, I would be like, I've got to watch this at home at night and try to sort of set that mood to, to make this feel as scary as possible, especially for a rewatch mm-hmm. just to, you know, and it just, you know, either just me being lazy, tired, whatever, it just wasn't working out where I was like, I'm not gonna be able to watch that at night. Like I'm gonna have to watch it, you know, uh, early in the day. And so what I did was uh, I left a little bit earlier than I would uh, for work and uh, ran some errands and got some breakfast and I was watching it on my iPad, just as I'm sure the filmmaker intended. Although it, at least it wasn't like that weird, uh, Kindle or nook that the girl has a little seashell thing, which is oh, yeah. little strange details. I still really love about this movie because you can't mm-hmm. really place the technology they're using or what time period it's, it's kind of interesting that way. Right. Um, 
but I'm watching it on an iPad, like getting breakfast and it kind of made it cool as you're saying, Josh, to think, to put yourself in the character's shoes. That's like, Hey, I'm out in public. How many people do I actually notice? Especially if I'm like on my phone or in this case on my tablet, how much of my surroundings am I paying attention to? And do I notice any details about anyone? So if someone just was going to walk up to me, Mm-hmm. in reality do some harm to me would i be paying attention and that uh, actually made it kind of creepy to watch this in public in a public yeah. setting like that well and i think another reason why the movie is so effective is because the, the whether it's something that is just kind of naturally there with us or if it's something that has been ingrained in us over years uh over the years um the the fact that like when when you're watching a scary movie if a group of people are together, you usually feel safe. If it's daytime, you feel safe. If it's out in the open, you feel safe. It's it's when people get separated. It's when it's not time. It's in the dark or, or whatever. Those are the moments you're like, okay, that's when you know the tension's building. It's gonna be bad. With this, it's any of those times, and at, they go out of their way to make a lot of those moments in the middle of the day. You know, you see the the creature just coming, walking slowly. It's not even doing anything. Um, <laughs> it's not screaming. It, 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 it's not doing the fast zombie thing from twenty right. years later. It, it, it's not bleeding or, or anything like that. It, it's just walking slowly. And to but, your point of usually being in a group or being in daytime, like actually in this case, being in a group is worse because they can't they can't see it. So it's not like anybody else can alert you. Right, and right. somehow, like the, the you know the opening date that uh, starts us off, where where the main character Jay is going to catch it um from from her fella here is uh them playing a game in the movie theater and he realizes like that the game is they're trying to point out people whose i guess places they'd want to switch with lives they'd want to have that sort of thing and realizes that she can't see uh who he's pointing at actually being in a crowd for once is more dangerous than like in one sequence uh jay yeah. goes she goes out to a playground and just looks she basically finds a spot where she can is not near a corner she can see all around her and mm-hmm. she's in darkness and actually feels more comforting than just being in that movie theater with yeah. 50 people. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. It, it really kind of tilts it on its head and it's, uh, I don't, it's effective. You know, it, it's, it's very effective. <clears throat> I think, I think we can spice it back up for you, Josh. I'm going to start following you home after work. I'm not going to tell you what day or what hour, <laughs> but whenever you come home and you see this <laughs> in your window, <laughs> Our uh, our listeners can't uh, can't get that that visual. Uh, it was terrifying. It was uh, <laughs> it was Jude Law from Road to Perdition in your rearview mirror there. And <laughs> I follows. Uh, I follows. I will say that uh, when I was younger and uh, our uh, <laughs> my my dad would be driving me to school. Uh, he had this thing where he would take randomly would take different streets or would sometimes go way <laughs> out of his way. And I would, I would ask him, like, why are we, are we, what are you doing? Do you have to like stop and get something? Or why are you taking this back road? Cause it's going to take us 10, 15 minutes longer now to get to school. And he says, I don't like for people to know my habits. <laughs> very succinct. That's very Marty. <laughs> Which as a child kind of freaks you out. When your dad says, I don't what want people to know my habits. <laughs> When his habit is, they know in a small town he has a child, and he's probably going to take him to school. And yet even that was unsafe in his mind. <laughs> and they know where he lives. So, 
I think this is one that, you know, Jared was talking about that's a little bit more thought provoking and some of the ideas that we've been exchanging here. Uh, I have to think that with that, that even without maybe the scares, that it's one, maybe unlike most horror movies, that just have that sort of roller coaster ride effect. Like, even if you really uh, like them, like, I think it's something like You're Next, which we all walk watch together that felt like you went on a a theme park ride like it was yeah. you know there's a lot of adrenaline it's exhilarating a lot of surprises uh i wouldn't say that if i watch that one again i'm necessarily going to think about it differently uh like you know from a philosophical point of view as far as like because it's just pure survival that movie there's a few yeah. twists as far as you know who the killer is uh that sort of thing uh something like scream same thing but this one i think does I guess lean more into the art house side of it where you could, and I remember having a lot of debates with people as far as Josh, you were saying, putting yourself in that shoes. Like, how would you handle that? Like, what would you, what would you do? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I just, you know, get on a plane, become George Clooney from up in the air and never stop. Just, <laughs> just make that thing walk through the ocean if it has to. Yeah. Well, it's proven that it can't like actually like get on a bus or anything, or it would have done it. Like they end up like at the beach house or whatever. And then the thing would have showed up like an hour and a half later getting off of a Greyhound bus. So it's one of the few horror movies that you actually like craft theories around, like actually surviving instead of just being like, well, if it's Friday the 13th, I guess I'm going to die. But unlike something like the, the woman in black or the innkeepers, which we watched uh, for this podcast uh, a few weeks ago, uh, you know, this haunting is something that even if you can out trick it, I, th- I think that's some of the issues I have with people being like analyzing the rules in that way. Like, well, this is easily beaten is they're not thinking of this is a haunting that never ends for you. You basically can never stop. Like you're going to be like some sort of fugitive or outlaw unless. Yeah. And I mean, it, I wouldn't, I don't even want to say unless, cause you could sleep with a lot of people, but unless you also start following them to verify that the, the, the chain is not getting closer back down to you. Uh, this is something you can never forget about and you will always have to deal with. So maybe in that way, I guess it is sort of a very effective, you know, sort of like AIDS panic or STD panic type thing, like where it's like, yeah, this will stay with you for the rest of your life. Yeah. And, uh, you know, going, going off that right there, you're talking about the STDs thing. I, I've heard a lot of people, you know, kind of describe it as oh, it's like the STD horror movie, you know, because that's what it's, that's kind of what it's about. And I don't know. I mean, I think that, element of it is kind of there but and 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 you you guys tell me what you think if if maybe i'm overreaching and how i'm reading it or uh if you if you think there's some truth to it but i kind of feel like it's almost reaching a little bit more around like sexual abuse as far as like when you're somebody who has been sexually abused whether it be like a, a rape victim or uh any number types of that abuse uh that it sticks with them you know that they can't get away from it and there's the they talk about in some of the rules like the the guy at the beginning when when he's talking to our 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 star he says something like they they always like he said something along the lines like they like to appear as people who who uh what do you know who you know they just, do to that hurt to hurt, just to hurt yeah. you yeah yeah and, and and for instance like the it, it's the main character's dad uh the last version at the swimming of pool. yeah at the swimming pool and we never know what the story is the dad's not in the picture whatsoever other than like we see a, a photograph of him uh a couple times so we don't know if there's something to do with that you know if there was 
um, some issue there. Uh, the the neighbor who willfully, you know, got the <laughs> the curse, if you will, uh, did it not appear as his mom? It was his mom when ultimately did him in. Yeah, that um, attacked him. But it was him uh, I, when when Jay sees him. Yeah. Yeah. When when he enters the house and comes back out, it's someone that she had some relationship with, not his mom, who probably didn't mean anything to her. There's a there's a lot of different little commentaries being made there because I mean that that guy he he definitely kind of comes off as the guy who's kind of white nodding, you know, he's like, I, you know, I'll I'll be there for you and 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 do that. But his motives are, you know, he has ulterior motives. He's just trying to probably find a good reason to build. And there is a true white knight in this movie that adds the creep factor for me. That's ultimately what I think it's about. Uh, Paul, like the the friend zone guy who's hanging out. Nerdlinger. Uh, <laughs> Nerdlinger, yes. <laughs> Paul Nerdlinger. <laughs> uh, because he's someone that, in my reading of the movie, like when he, he volunteers, like you get the idea that she, you know, maybe she doesn't want to have sex with him just because she doesn't want to have sex with him. But I also think she probably doesn't want to have sex with anybody after this necessarily because it's sort of a uh, heightened version of the ring. Because anyone that she has sex with, she knows... She's either going to have to sit them down and say, here's what I've done to you, or she's just sending them to their death. Because, you know, the guy that does, is aware of it, doesn't believe her, and he, you know, his mom gets him. Like, you know, he just opens the bedroom door, he's like, what is it, mom? So. It's very much like STDs in that sense, because you can't just sit somebody down and be like, all right, if you sleep with me, there's going to be a demon that follows you <laughs> day in and day out. <laughs> it's never going to stop, and you'll never be able to sleep or work or have fun again. So Maybe that's, that's in some way, that's why we're okay with the next door neighbor, the, you know, the, the stud muffin there, because I do think it's, 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 it's pointed out. He's he, been warned. He's been warned. Well, he had had no. sex with her before, and... Uh, I think he kind of slightly apologizes for it. I, I really like that the, the dialogue in this film feels very real to me. Like it feels like how teenagers would talk in the sense that there's not a lot of Tarantino monologues or like really fun dialogue. Like for the most part, there's sort of monosyllabic grunting or saying like why or where did, what happened, that sort of thing. I mean, you have one, the, the girl I really like that's reading the weird seashell Kendall Nook that <laughs> to mess with Nerdlinger just farts on him, like farts in his direction. <laughs> I feel like she's safe for a while. I don't think she's going to be chased by it until she goes to college. I think she's, <laughs> but you know, Paul here, um, he buys in, but I also think he sees it. Uh, he's very opportunistic that way that he's willing to take on the curse because that means he gets to finally be with the, you know, the literally the girl next door that he's always had a crush on, like has always hung out with since he was a kid. And, you know, the way the film ends, you see him driving past what is presumably prostitutes, like in sort of a seedy area of, uh, I believe Detroit is where this sit, set or the suburbs of Detroit. You have to be more specific. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, they had, they do have a speech about it as far as the, you know, these, these kids have never entered into, you know, the shadier parts of the city. The eight uh, mile. Uh, until they want to bring the monster to the swimming pool and try to kill it, of course, because that's that's where you go do battle with it. And you know, Eminem, Eminem is across the way with his rap battles. And <laughs> meanwhile, old dad, literally old dad, is throwing toasters at his daughter in the swimming pool. <laughs> old dad. <laughs> and Paul shoots the girl for farting on him earlier. I do think that was purposeful. <laughs> Didn't see it. Bullshit. <laughs> um. 
But yeah, like the way the film ends is he uh, he drives past and we don't see him do anything with the prostitutes and it's him and Jay holding hands. Uh and he seems kind of pleased with himself. Like even knowing that there's this monster that's going to follow him, uh it's like something that he has over Jay. And I find that pretty creepy. That's like you better stay close to me because that way you know when it's coming for you. So we have to be together forever. And I'm <laughs> <laughs> I find that a little uh, like like something like a white knight keyboard warrior on like a gaming forum would totally see himself as like if if they the, the hot girl would only fall for me the nice guy I would be absolutely devoted to her. I but would it's, do it's a way, with demon for my lady. But it's also like a form of imprisonment too. You know, it's like, <laughs> and I say that because you owe me, bitch. <laughs> because there's nothing as going back to that realistic dialogue. There's nothing in this. That if there wasn't this, like, you know, if it wasn't the peril of death coming for her, that you would think, like, oh, I think Paul and Jay are really, you know, th- this movie's building to them. Like, they really have something here. No, I don't. <laughs> I, I think uh, <laughs> this is the best they'll ever get for Paul, is having a weird STD <laughs> monster <laughs> give him his door <laughs> to, to walk into. Oh, uh, I, I guess. I mean, I, you're, you're definitely right. He, he's definitely opportunistic. I, there, there, there's no denying that. Uh, Josh, he's going to champion Paul here. No, I'm just kind of questioning maybe what Jay's view would have been on that. Like, if I don't think she was blind to the, you know, to the fact that uh, I can't remember what the guy across the street what his his name Stud was. Muffin. Yeah, Stud Muffin, whatever. Uh, I think I think she was aware that you know he wasn't completely sincere in his in his efforts and but doesn't she tell paul that she thought he could like it's like she kind of slams paul nerlinger and that she's like i thought he could get rid of it quickly yeah yeah because the film does show him i love the musical cue like after they have sex because suddenly we go from jay's perspective to his and it's that creepy music which i'll try to drop in here sitting at a table surrounded by chicks yeah and you're like okay i I guess i guess one of them's about to get it and hopefully (laughs) you know the character i like the best honestly is the date rapist (laughs) basically because i feel like (laughs) well (laughs) like if you think about like you know he does take a risk there but he's he has thought it out where he's like this is a very attractive girl it should be easy for her to get rid of it but i also need to tell her like what's coming for it i need to show her for real what's happening it's very disturbing going through the motions of it because it reflects upon the terrible things that actually happen in, in, in the real world, how people get date raped or mm-hmm. raped in general and stuff. But within the context of the movie, the the worst thing he's done was the consensual sex. It, it's the uh, he's actually doing the weird stuff afterwards for her sake. Like I'm doing this that way you'll believe me. That way you you know you can try to survive. He's like because you won't believe me unless you see it. So he actually has. Pretty, I mean, they're self-serving intentions too, because obviously she stays alive, he stays alive. But uh, it, it is a weird dynamic there that, like, he does something very creepy and despicable, but it's actually, you know, it is for her good. And Jared is a a, a, a watcher of a lot of horror movies. Uh, do you feel like this one maybe handles the realities of being like a teenager better, as far as? Yeah, you know, the sexual encounters, but also if you're getting into the rules aspect of it, you know, I said just become George Clooney from up in the air. Well, this age group, not only because maybe the recklessness with which they have sex, uh, but also just from a financial standpoint, 
they don't really have a lot of means to battle it as far as like, well, I'll just move or I'll just go here or I'll travel. Like you're kind of stuck in your little small community. And so mm. it's, it's creepy that these kids are forced to kind of prey on one another. That's because they, they can't physically really just, you know, pick up a move like an adult. Well, uh, <clears throat> also nobody's going to believe you if you like ask for $500 for a plane ticket because you need to go out to uh, <laughs> cause the demon to walk for two months. And then I'll be back after I've made $500 Actually, in Arizona. <laughs> I would have given anything in our high school days for the nasty Hellcat to tell old mom <laughs> I need $500 to cause the demon to walk for two months. <laughs> I gotta go. Just believe me, please. <laughs> and then, and then she's like, "What really happened?" And Jared says, "I had sex." And she's like, "No, I really don't believe that, Jared." <laughs> <I'm clean. laughs> Is this one of these video games you've been playing again? <laughs> you've been playing Harvest Moon too much. You just make a decision, son. <laughs> Pick your bride. <laughs> the pressure's really getting to you. <laughs> I really don't know how to. Uh... Cracking under the harvest moon. Yeah, crack under the harvest moon. <laughs> give you a chance to get your cackles out here. Please yourself. keep talking. Keep talking about horror movies, Jerry. Just go ahead. I'll mute my mic. <laughs> I have a feeling this is going to be an edited section, at least for a couple of minutes. I'm going to find the music to Harvest Moon and mash it up with it follows. <laughs> I say you definitely have a lot of cinephiles and uh, Harvest Moon uh, Venn diagram there. We actually got a complaint. Uh, from Superfan really? Hyro, that uh, whatever episode, I don't remember which one, maybe it was the Groundhog Day one, uh, he said it was the first one, he did not get a shout out. And so he said he would not donate to Patreon until the streak <laughs> continued again or was started again. So, uh, Hyro, uh, if you contribute, uh, if we reach our target goal, we will buy you your own personal gaming chair, signed by the Nasty Hellcat. And you can play oh, yeah. Harvest Moon. I'll sign it. Yeah, he made me. He made sure to uh, point that out in our little annihilation uh, chat the other evening. So anyway, Jared, talk about uh-huh. uh, talk about horror movies. Talk about horror movies. <laughs> sure. What would you like to know, Mike? <laughs> Does this one? Do you think? Um, I'm trying to think. Okay, what? We'll, we'll set some context here. Mm-hmm. Removing It Follows, what do you think is the, the best uh, horror movie to kind of use the main characters and their age group of usually being teenagers or like high school students? Uh, which one do you think did that the most effectively uh, before It Follows? Uh, man, putting me on the spot Because I mean, there. most of them do target that because that's usually the age demographic that are into horror movies. But I feel like this one actually makes that age you know, part of what makes the plot works. It's not, you know, any idiots could go out to a cabin in the woods. It doesn't necessarily have to be teenagers. Be mm-hmm. college students could be grown adults. <sighs> Hell man. I, I've... I don't know if Jared, if Jared can think of anything. I, I can't, I, anything I'm thinking of falls I into say, those very standard slasher tropes. I say you, yeah. you run into a lot of like just stereotypical kid stuff. Like if you're talking like Friday the 13th, it's like everybody just goes into the cabin, we have sex, smoke pot, and then we get punished for whatever uh, nonsense that we get ourselves into. As far as like actually portraying teenagers acting normally, man, there's just, there's not that many at well, all. Well, the problem is there's not too many horror movies that do that with people in general. <laughs> there's so yeah. many times in the horror movies, people act unreasonable and that's, 
uh, again, another perk to this film is that that people are uh, they they act pretty reasonably given their circumstances. You don't have people just wandering off <laughs> into the dark attic of the house just just to investigate all by themselves. I'll, you I'll know, throw one out there. Like um, have either one of you seen All the Boys Love Mandy Lane? I have not. No, I've not seen that. Uh, I don't think it's as, as specific as it follows to the age group, but it, its central premise is, uh, I mean, based on the title, uh, what the one, you know, I guess the hottest girl in school, uh, sort of the power she has over teenage boys. And so it kind of flips that as far as, uh, and, and she's, you know, for most film, just as much of a victim of it as far as <laughs> she just happens to be really beautiful. Uh, mm-hmm. But there's this weird almost... I don't know. It's almost 28 days later esque where it's like sort of violence just follows her or these sort of like rage issues as far as like men needing to like claim her and like challenge themselves and others like Hmm. for her like gaze for her attention. That one I felt like, okay, I I mean, you get (laughs) if you get to people in their mid thirties or something, or if you got like the cast of friends doing something like that, like wanting to kill each other, just so Rachel look at them. <laughs> you might be like, I don't know. These people are all losers. But I feel like you're a little more forgiving with teenagers and yeah, that instance. Yeah. So hmm. still playing harvest moon over there, Jared. Yes. How did you know? <laughs> Thank you for ruining my full moon. <laughs> Uh, I've had about enough of this this evening. Let's go ahead and wrap this show up. I think we're all going to come down on the side of saying uh, It Follows, uh, even though it didn't make as much money, uh, deserves the status of being the one that's uh, remembered more. So um, I'll I'll throw a curveball out there as far as going back to Run All Night and the Liam Neesons. Um where does it is, is there one that deserves because Taken's probably the best, like the one that broke the mold there for this new career path of Neeson. Uh, is there a worse one than Run All Night that you've seen, or one that's more forgettable uh, that <laughs> that deserves even uh, less eyeballs on it than Run All Night, or is or is this just pretty much one of many forgettable ones in the Neeson action genre? Can you think of one that was worse than this? It's better than the gray. Uh, Up to you, Josh. Go ahead. Oh, I said. Oh. See, that was that was basically my setup was just to start a little mini argument between the two of you on the gray. <laughs> the gray's freaking awesome, Jared. Disgusting. Uh, I'll say the gray's more memorable for sure. It's very. Di- it's actually very different from all these that we're kind of talking about now. I mean, that one actually <laughs> does have some depth to it. I, it. It still may not be your cup of tea, Jared, but. It's different. Um, I think non nonstop was pretty forgettable. I, I, I've watched it and I really can't remember anything about it. Uh, I think I've seen it. Is on a plane or? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the only point I do remember. Is that they just had one that was on a train, right? That just came out. Yeah, the commuter, and it sounds like it was pretty terrible. Uh, are all these the same director? Is it the same director as Run All Night as well? I don't know if all of them are. Uh, some of them Run are. All Night, Nonstop, uh, and my pick, and my actual pick for your question, Unknown. I didn't care for Unknown. You know what? I'll agree with you. I remember seeing Unknown. I feel like, was that like one of the early follow-ups to Taken? Yeah, I think that was like 2010. Okay. Two, yeah. Taken was like 2008. If I'm not mistaken, might be even 2009. I'm not sure. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I can't even remember what the plot of that one was other than Again, just uh, running, shooting, driving, punching—like that's that's it. I uh, 
I say we do have something to look forward to. Uh, if you're a fan of it follows, if you're listening to this, uh, David Robert Mitchell, the writer and director of this film, uh, has a, uh, crime like noir coming up with, uh, Andrew Garfield. Um, mm. and I believe that comes out this year. Um, yep. so yeah. So it's a nice little, I think, uh, his take and on like, the I, silver lake, I think, uh, under the silver lake. Yeah. Under the silver lake. Um, yeah, his take on sort of like a PI story. So I'm looking forward to that. And uh, yeah, I have to say I was just pleasantly surprised because I, as much as I loved It Follows, I think I watched it like six times, like the first month it came out. Uh, I had not revisited it, and I thought for sure I'd come back and be like, well, I was a little – that was probably a little much, Mike. Um, <laughs> I think Scott Pilgrim versus the World is one I've kind of felt that way about where I was like, yeah, yeah it's still a good movie. But I was like, man, I was like obsessed with that, that first <laughs> month. Came, like, you know, some of those things you flip back to in youth, you're like, why was I – going nuts about this but mm-hmm. just a moment we in time did, type thing we did that and uh did that and was it kramer versus kramer and i really realized like i've watched this probably six or seven times like it's just i mean it's still good but it's not nearly well, it's as about good video as games before. so of course you know you there were no harvest moon references so it wasn't a 10 out of 10 asshole under the crack of the full moon screw you too <laughs> at some well, cinema <laughs> Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Real quick. What I am looking forward to is the uh, Run On Out sequel starring Nick Nolte. Where he says, get out of my damn house. Two Mm -hmm. hooligans. Yeah. He looks like some drunken hobo. He shows up for about two minutes and... That's a weird paycheck gig for him because it actually, uh, it's just enough Nolte to have me disappointed he's not in it longer. It's like, that's just one big tease. Like in a big tease because he's quite a large man with a lot of <laughs> lot of hair on his face and that voice. Uh, I, <laughs> I had a really dark thought. <laughs> I don't know if I say it, but it's like when you see Nick Nolte on screen, I, I swear we're gonna have like another like Brandon Lee incident. Like except <laughs> he's just gonna die like mid sentence <laughs> on screen because. <laughs> his voice and just like the way he moves every utterance I feel like is a death rattle from him <laughs> when he's on screen now. It's like, you know, this used to be like a heartthrob, like a sex symbol, like in movies like he was in that Barbara Streisand, like the Prince of Tides. You all remember that? When you were, I remember it because it was nominated the same year as uh, Silence of the Lambs, I like think one best picture, so uh, I've never seen Prince of Tides, but I remember all the like Oscar moments they showed, and I remember the poster was like <laughs> Nolte and Streisand shirtless, like embracing each other, and him, him like looking up to like the heavens, making an O face. <laughs> Not age well. <laughs> I swear to God, I gotta figure out a way to get that on sober cinema so we can actually watch it and discuss. <laughs> we gotta do it before he dies, guys. <laughs> It's coming. It's coming soon. There's a genuine concern in your voice. He's so good. Um, did you either want to see a Mike doesn't want to laughing at him after he's died. I don't want to laugh at him after he's died because I enjoy his presence. But so you much. will. Uh, no. You assured me will. No, I'm going to do it all beforehand. I'm like a decent person. <laughs> uh, and that is at Sober Cinema.